0: You don't have real estate right now then the house hacking is the best approach to take and um if for whatever reason that doesn't work then talk to some local investors in your area best ever listeners you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues are you ready to get more leads well how about we do all this for free yeah sure free well it starts out with a free strategy session with dan barrett you recognize his name episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go, it's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one up being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company, and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing show we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a whole bunch of others. And like we normally do, we've got Theo Hicks co hosting Follow Along Friday. Good morning, my friend. It's going well. And if you are watching this via Facebook Live, then feel free to comment below, and we'll either answer your question during this episode or next week's episode if we don't get to it this week so how do we want to approach
1: today's conversation we've got three best ever listener questions we're going to answer but first i want to pre-congratulate you on closing another property next week i hope you didn't just jinx me (laughs) (laughs) well i think i did all right yeah yeah
0: so yes we are closing a property in fort worth texas most likely next week, probably Thursday or Friday. We have technically until June 2nd to close, but we're closing a little bit early because we got all our ducks in a row. So more to come on that after it closes, but everything's looking good. And appreciate the pre-congratulations.
1: No problem. Let's dive into questions. So first question is from Darius. He said, I've been reading your book. So Darius, thank you for reading the best ever book. And it has me very anxious in investing in real estate. My problem is that I'm 26 with no money saved, and I work a job that I'm not paid well at at all. Any advice, if you were in my situation, on what I should do? I'm really excited about my future in real estate, and I cannot wait to get started. So kind of a vague, open-ended question, but no money, very low-paying job, young guy, if you were in a situation, what would be the first thing that you did? Because I was in a situation a year ago, maybe I could say something on this as well. I'd like to hear your thoughts. So, my situation was slightly different just because my job paid a little bit better and I had a decently sized lump sum of money for my parents to invest in. I better was, than what? So, how much were you getting paid? I was getting paid about 70K a year. Okay, so you're making 70K, and how old were you? 25. 25, okay. I had no money saved up. I was not a saver at this point. I just got out of college, and so my first time ever having money so I just spent everything. Mm-hmm. But my parents, I had a, a college fund of about twenty k. and my parents let me use it to buy a property. However, I did not know about house hacking. And you, and you got to use that because you got a scholarship.
0: I got to use that because I had a full-ride scholarship. You college. got a full-ride scholarship to Ohio State for? Chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. Okay, cool. So you, they allocated college money. You didn't use it because you got a big brain. And you're like you able to allocate it for the house
1: because, exactly. okay, cool. And so I bought a property for 170, dollars and I did an FHA, owner occupied loan because I house hacked. I didn't do a 203000 k portion of it, which is allowed you to include renovations into the loan. And so that cost me around maybe $15,000 because I had to pay for the renovation myself. Mm-hmm. My recommendation would be to house hack. And I'm not sure how much not being paid well means. Maybe if you're making 20k a year. Save up for a year, save up a fourth of your income. I'm sure if you're a single guy, you can definitely do that. And that'll be $5,000. You can use that as a 3.5% down payment on a house act duplex or fourplex. And that would be $5,000. I look $5,500 down on a $170,000 property. Wow. Well, <laughs> you can get a $100,000 property for $3,500 down if you are going to live in the one unit and rent out the other one. And if you're not making a lot of money, even if you're not necessarily making a spread on the rent, you're still going to be paying less money than you're paying now. Mm-hmm. You're going to get the experience of real estate. And once you end up moving out and moving on to your next property, whether it's a house hack again, you can backfill your unit with a renter and start cash flowing. Mm-hmm. If you have no money and you're a single guy or have a partner that's willing to house hack, I know whenever we bring up house hacking, On the podcast. It's always important to make sure that your significant other is in on it, because you don't want to just jump into it without her or his support. But yeah, that's what I would do. Do we know where Darius lives? No.
0: Okay. You nailed it. I only have a couple additional thoughts, but they're adding to what you said, not contradicting or coming up with something revolutionary. Mm -hmm. One is, if Darius lives in New York City, Brooklyn, Manhattan... Since I lived there for 10 years, I can say that it's virtually impossible to find something like that. Mm. So, Darius, you would need to go to New Jersey. And then the question becomes, are you okay going to New Jersey or maybe Connecticut or upstate New York and not live in the New York City lifestyle? And you just have to do a cost-benefit analysis there. But if you're not making any money or very little money, then really... Unless your family's there and you have to be there for a certain reason, then you're free to roam somewhere else. Mm You can probably find a job that you're making as much or more in at a different place. The second thing is that the way that your question was structured, it's obvious that you're focusing on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And it's important to recognize and give yourself credit for... What you do have your current assets and that is that you do have access to materials to educate yourself you do have access to a computer with an email account to send us an email and for us to answer your question you do have access to others in your market who. Are successful in real estate investing. You know the English language. You do have the ability to maintain a full time job. So you have all of these assets, and you have more assets than liabilities if you really think about it. And it's important to go in with that mindset. And not necessarily think about what you don't have, but think about what you do have and how can you leverage what you do have to get what you want to have in the future. And Theo laid out the concrete step-by-step plan for doing so. And I think a lot of people tend to shoot for the stars right out of the gate. And believe me, I don't want to be the potato chip calling the pretzel salty here because (laughs) I also have gone from single family homes, a very, very large multifamily. When most people don't do that, but I got a single family house first and then I got another and then I got another and then I got another and then I went to large multifamily stuff. And if you don't have real estate right now, then the house hacking is the best approach to take. And um, if for whatever reason that doesn't work, then talk to some local investors in your area. Make sure you attend the weekly or monthly real estate investing meetups. Also go volunteer. Somewhere, I've talked about this many times before, not just people who are raising money. Because you volunteer and you are genuinely passionate about a cause, then you become a board member with that volunteer organization, and then you start building relationships with other, most likely, high net worth and affluent individuals. And you do it again with genuine intentions. Because you're passionate about that cause, but then eventually you get surrounded by some high achievers. And even if you're not raising money, if you're just wanting to get started, still go volunteer because it's going to give you the perspective and it's going to help you focus on your assets, not necessarily your liabilities of what you don't have. And really focus on what you do have and it will reinforce the mindset
1: that I mentioned earlier that I recommend you have. That's great advice. One additional thing that I thought about when you were asking that question, I know in here one of the first things he said is that he has no money saved up. And I remember if you want to go to you know, Darrys or anyone else that has that same issue of, oh, like, I don't have the no money saved up, how am I going to invest in real estate? But I angered you on part one, I believe it was part one, yeah. of the multifamily syndication journey. You're talking about how, you know, you made 30k a year in living in New York City of all places. Yeah. And you saved up money for, for two, three years or something? Three, right? four years. Three or four years to save up enough money for your first property. Mm-hmm. And so it can be done no matter what. And I said earlier, my little spiel high, you know, when I got out of college, I made a lot of money, but I spent it all on a bunch of crazy stuff. And so I know this is like very small tactical advice, but look what you're spending money on and see if you can cut five, ten, twenty dollars a month whether it be some some recurring fee you're paying for some internet service you're not necessarily using a lot like Spotify or if you're buying $5 coffees every single day or if you're going out to the bars all the time. There's a lot of different ways that you can cut expenses. And and I remember when I first did my budget, I looked at it, and I realized how much money I was spending on on fast food, energy drinks, (laughs) and I'm going out. I probably could have bought a property after a year just with that money saved up. That's just another piece of advice for the people that may have had the financial issues is look at your budget and what you're spending money on and see if there's any way you can cut any amount of money out of that budget to save up for real estate. And using your three specific
0: examples of energy, food, fast food, and going out, those are three really good examples that reinforces the point that it's not necessarily the lowering our quality of life by cutting expenses, but ironically or counterintuitively, we increase our quality of life if we cut out things like energy drinks, fast food, and perhaps going out. It depends on what going out entails. And so often, yeah, I know Grant Cardone talks about this. I believe he talks about how you shouldn't necessarily cut expenses. You should pay for a $5 coffee. You should increase how much money you make in your full-time job. Well, I'm of the mindset it's important to look at what we are spending our money on and does that truly increase the quality of our life? Because this is a great time, Mm. Darius, to have some self-reflection, not only setting you up for the long-term financially, but to increase your quality of life along the way. Perhaps there are some things that you're spending money on that don't increase your quality of life, and should you replace them with other things that are less expensive then that will increase your quality of life and you'll be able to save money along the way. For example, instead of fast food, you have more healthy choices of food where you cook or you have some other way of having food instead of going to Taco Bell or, or KFC or wherever. Energy drinks, drink water or a liter of water with wheatgrass. Mm-hmm. That will give you all the energy you need. Or work out. Or work out, yeah, or work out. Going out, again, depends on what the going out entails. But that's also
1: a thought that I recommend that you think about when you're going through this. What I do is do exactly that. Look at my line on expenses and say, is this adding quality to my life or is this taking away? This counterintuitive is you're spending a lot of money on <laughs> certain things that if you actually stopped spending money, on, not only would you be saving more money, but also you wouldn't be having the energy hangover, the fast food hangover, or the actual going out hangover. Statistically, after you make $50,000,
0: Mm-hmm. You have zero percent of increasing your likelihood of happiness. Period. So let me rephrase that. <laughs> I butchered that. So people who make zero to fifty thousand dollars, they are not as happy because they don't have the things that they need paid for mm-hmm. or accounted for—food, water, shelter, other things. But once you make fifty thousand dollars, and you can go from fifty thousand to five million dollars. Your level of happiness doesn't increase based on the amount of money you make after $50,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's important to know. So if we're making more than 50000 then if we're not happy, it's not a money thing. It's what do we focus on and what's important to us and how do we
1: spend our time and how are we contributing and are we fulfilled thing. That's a scientific fact, and it's a huge insight to understand because you going to save us a lot of time. Because if you're just chasing after money, you realize... Based on that study, that's not going to actually add to the quality of your life. Just specifically the dollar amount in your bank account going up. Now, dependent on what you do with that money. But if you just are focusing on the money, yeah, you don't get happier. So that's a good insight. Good documentary to watch. We'll move on to the next one.
0: It's Happy and Smiley Face on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's what the cover looks like. So just search Happy in Netflix. And it's a documentary,
1: and they reference the study that I just mentioned. I'll be that. I haven't yeah. watched it. It's great. Okay, we got you covered, Darius. Next question is from Vic, and it is based off of, I believe he asked this question based on our conversation last week. Hey, Joe, I thought the syndicator would also get monthly income based on the amount of ownership he has. So, for example, if I syndicated a deal and I put zero of my own money down on a 150 deal, my investors slash partner would put up all the down payment for the loan and the closing costs. And so Vic has no money in the deal whatsoever, his partner has all the money in the deal, Thus, he would be getting 70 or 80% of ownership, and now I'd get the remaining 30 or 20%, which means they also collect 30% to 20% monthly net income that the property produces. Isn't that the way it should be structured? I think this is based off of the last week when we were, the last week or two weeks ago, when someone asked a question about how they had all the experience and they wanted to bring in a money partner. We ran through all the different examples of how they could actually structure that, yeah. that partnership. And I guess what he's asking here is that if I've all experienced when you're bringing all the money and we just set it up strictly 70, 30, yeah. basically all the income is split. 70% goes to you, 30% goes to me on a monthly or a quarterly basis. I think he's asking for a verification if that's the case. Will you
0: succinctly repeat the question? But I had a hard time following that. Okay. Maybe because I was also picking up Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Colleen and ours, 13-pound Yorkie. I, he distracted me. I heard it all, but I didn't understand. What's the one-line question? So one point of lesson is,
1: is if he is not bringing any money and it starts with a partnership 70-30 with the investor, does that mean that per month, 70% of the income goes to the investor and 30% goes to him, even though he has no money in the deal? Well... Having
0: no money in the deal isn't relevant after the deal if he's talking about the structure. So it's two things. One is how do you structure it to begin with? Mm -hmm. So if he has already structured it 70-30, then yes, 70% of the distributions go to the investor, 30% go to him. If there's not a preferred return, which industry standard is there will be a preferred return to the limited partner i.e. his investor. So if there's a preferred return, let's say 8%, then the first 8% of the cash flow distributions go to the limited partner. And then depending on how they have it set up, it's either the general partner gets caught up on the 30% that was already distributed
1: or it just splits 70-30 thereafter. Exactly, okay. So I think it was just asking for verification. Maybe he was confused at what we were talking about last week. At the end, Vic, you said that is this is the way that it should be structured, and as we talk about many times in this podcast, it kind of just depends on what you want to do and what your investor wants to do. Yeah. I have to think of a good analogy, because I get this question
0: a lot, we get this question a lot. How should I structure it with investors? However the hell you want to structure it with investors, but they have to buy in on it, and it has to make sense for the actual deal you're buying, and you have to make money along the way so that you care about the results too. And there has to be an alignment of interest with you and the investors so that your financial compensation is largely connected to the success of the project. We could spend a whole 60-minute episode on different ways you could structure deals. Maybe we do that. Maybe we just brainstorm for an episode. It's really a matter of what you bring to the table and how you want
1: to structure it and what you're looking to get out of it and what the market will command. Mine's kind of creatively churning right now I'm trying I think of a good analogy. I think I might have, but I don't want to say it right now. So I'm going to say that. I might say, I'm, I'm think about it. I might write a blog post on it and then we'll talk about it. Tune <laughs> in the next week. What a tease. <laughs> yeah, my insane analogy. <laughs> okay, so hopefully that covered your question, Vic. I believe it did. Our last question is from Panchum who's one of our clients, yep. and I was having a conversation with him yesterday, and he had a very interesting question that I did not know the answer to, which I wanted to ask you. So essentially, they found a deal that they buy it currently, it's going to have a cash-in cash return of 4%, so as is 4% cash-in cash return. It's in a really, really good area, it's in an A area, and it has been updated since the 1980s, I believe. After putting in a certain amount of money per unit, they're going to be able to raise their rents such that the cash and cash return is now 14. Or sorry, 12% after improvements. So how do you approach a deal where when you're buying it, the cash-on-cash cash return is way too low to pay back yourself or your investors, but then after six months to a year of renovations, it's conservatively cash and cash return of 12%? A couple things. One is
0: I'd want to know what the word currently means when they say it's 4% cash-on-cash <laughs> cash return. Because is that based on the seller's financials or is that based on Hansham's underwriting? If it's based on the seller's financials, then it might not be 4% because we've got to use our underwriting assumptions and how we'll operate it, not how they'll operate it. So that's number one. Number two is the 4% return well If they have investors who are okay with a 4% return over the first couple years, then sounds like a great opportunity because if you can increase rents through renovations, if the rents are below market, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It depends on your investors. It depends on, one, your underwriting assumptions, first and foremost, if it truly is a 4% cash on cash return based on how we would operate it. But then two, it depends on the investing group
1: and if they're okay with 4% or not. Okay. So I guess from your perspective, I know that the videos you invest in, there is value add. And so obviously when you buy them, they're not stabilized where you want to be. And so do you wait to pay your investors the preferred return until it's stabilized at the new value or how does that work?
0: We buy properties that can return our preferred return. Right out of the gate. Okay. And if they can't, then what we'll do is the vast majority of it will be able to be returned through the property. But maybe there's 1% of the 8% return that the operating account is funding while we're doing the renovations. And we have an operating account at the beginning so that we have the flexibility if a scenario comes up where we need to use the funds, mm-hmm. okay, so an unexpected expense, some sort of of unexpected in occupancy, something like that so but the vast majority of the time will simply buy properties that can return the preferred
1: return immediately. if it does if it dips below eight, maybe it's like six percent, then an additional two percent will pull from the operating bucket until it reaches above 8%. Again. Yep. Okay, and that's interesting. I guess something else I'm just thinking right now, I'm not sure if this is possible, but let's say it does 4% cash-to-cash cash return for the first six months, and then goes up to 12%. Obviously, you can cover that 4% with your operating budget. Could you also essentially have it so that it's 4% this month, then we owe you that extra 4% the next month, and it kind of compounds yeah, up it, and up? Yeah, it accrues. Anytime, <laughs> if
0: you don't pay... What is projected within your preferred return, let's say it's 8% if you only pay 4% over the first year instead of 8 then that additional 4% is accrued to the next quarter or the next month, and it continues to be accrued until you catch up, all the way until you sell the property at that point, it would be returned, or if there's no profit there,
1: then they would get all the money and you wouldn't get anything because the preferred return wasn't paid. Okay, I guess... That covers Pantam's question, and I think the, the analogy I'm going to create might help him as well here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, that t- talk about
0: a reason to tune in next week. Yes. That's for sure. Well, next week's going to be a big one for us closing on apartment community in Fort Worth, Texas, and then this time next month-ish, closing on another property, that one in Dallas, Texas a lot of action. Looking forward to that. Best of listeners, thanks for joining the conversation today. You can go read through the transcript of this episode at bestevershow.com and if you haven't gotten the resources guide that we've put together, it's on Apartment Investing and you can receive it for free. Just email info, I-N-F-O at joefairless.com and it's a resources guide of all these free resources and I think books too. So obviously those aren't free. you got to go on Amazon and buy the books or wherever you buy books. But it's a bunch of websites and podcasts and books and different economic development tools that you can go to and check out different market scenarios and statuses of where markets are at. So email info at JoeFairless.com and we'll get you that free resources guide. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.